this morning to the 16th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And a study that I've entitled, Living in the Lap of Misery. Now when I say that, probably most of you are going, he is really lost, that vacation was too long or something. None of us in our thought processes would actually sign up to do such a thing. And yet for so many people, their idea of a life well lived is to live in the lap of luxury. We, we desire at times those things that we would call the good things in life. Now, I will tell you that we spent our vacation on the island of Maui. It's hard to be bummed when you're there. But I can also tell you that it is a very sad place. And I had something happen to me this time that I haven't really had happen, I believe, ever in the way that it happened to me. And as we were uh, spending the last half of our trip there, um, I got very sick. And so I spent about half of the trip in agony. Um, just a, For those of you who've ever had canker sores, I ended up with like 40 of them in, in at one time. And so I couldn't talk, couldn't eat, It was which for you, gosh, it would be good. It was good for a diet aid, but uh, and, and so I had a time to think and reflect and to to pray. And I read four books in their entirety, you know, just things that I wouldn't do. And one of them I didn't want to read. But I also had an opportunity um, to see uh, beyond the beauty that is the Hawaiian Islands. And and as I shared with the family as we were driving around. It got to the place to where I, I couldn't wait to get back. Most people, when they think about, man, the, the, you know, the number one vacation destination on the earth, if you ask people, the most common answer you'll get is the island of Maui. So it's like, oh, we're, here we are in this beautiful place, and we've got a you know, wonderful place that we're staying in. But all I could see was the lostness of the people there. As I drove around, all I could see was the people that had come there, believing this would be the answer to everything. The surfers who showed up on the shores thinking that catching the next big wave and living under a coconut tree was going to solve all their problems. The people who came believing the real estate market would just go on forever and they would somehow be wealthy and end up with a beach home. Who were working in a outlet store someplace making minimum wage. All I could see was the lostness of mankind. Now, I don't say that so that you'd feel sorry for me or for us. We had a wonderful time. But can I tell you that sometimes wonderful times are hurtful times and painful times. Wonderful times are the reality of the life that we live. And so we come to this passage, and we'll pick up this morning in the 19th verse and finish chapter 16 today. Because family of God, though this life should be enjoyed to its fullest, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. That's a promise of his word. This world is not our home. This is not where you're going to spend eternity. And there is nothing on this earth worth trading for Jesus. Nowhere, no vacation, no possession that you can own, 
no place that you can live. Because to leave this earth without Jesus is to live in the lap of misery forever. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that you would somehow organize my thoughts and help me to speak your word with love and care and concern, with purpose that you might speak to your people. And God, we thank you for the power of your word, for its ability to transform our lives. And we pray, whether we're sitting here in the sanctuary or in the lobby, that your voice would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would tend to our needs, and that we would be the recipients of your great glory this morning. We love you, we praise you, and we bless you as your people. We ask now that you would use your word to transform our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. You see, the truth can only set you free if you believe the truth and live the truth and walk in the truth. You can hear the truth over and over and over and over and over again and not believe the truth. You can still believe the lie. And that is where we find ourselves this morning. The passage you've probably all heard many times. And the first thing we see are two very different deaths. The rich man who had everything this world has to offer and the beggar who had nothing this world had to offer. And there was a certain rich man, verse 19 says, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He had it all. Everything this world had to offer. We were very interested in reading some of the articles about our president. As you know, he's from Hawaii. And I, I can tell you there, the people in Hawaii don't actually like him all of that much. Uh, because when he comes, and this is not a presidential slander, when he comes, or Michelle and the children come, they tie up an already very tough to get around on island. And in fact... Michelle and the girls very often visit the little sleepy village of Wailea in South Maui, for those of you who have been there. It's where the rich and famous hang out. And Oprah has a, a house there. Well, Oprah has about 2,500 acres there. And a big nine-bedroom, ten-bath house. And it sits uh, what is affectionately known in the Hawaiian Islands as upcountry, away from the coast. It's about... Uh, a mile or so up on the plateau above the beaches of Wailea. This beautiful view looks out towards Molokini and the island of Ko'olawe. Uh, and uh, when they come there, you can't go anywhere. The Secret Service have every road blocked off. They close beaches so that they can use the beaches. They close restaurants so they can use the restaurants. It is horrible when they show up on the Hawaiian Islands. And so the people there hate it. They lose business. Uh, you know, they, it's, you can't go anywhere. You see, they're, they're pretty famous and pretty wealthy. And one would say, uh, they never closed the beach for me. I don't know why. 
we show up and, you know, they, they look at us kind of funny. There are people who have everything. But if they don't have Jesus, they have nothing. Nothing. This rich man had everything. But there was a certain beggar, verse 20 says, named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Now I want you to notice, it is at the rich man's gate that Lazarus laid. This same rich man got to see this same poor man every single day. And oh boy, was there a socioeconomic gap. The rich man clothed in fine garments, and the poor man clothed in pustuous sores. Quite a difference in how they lived their lives while they were on this earth. And moreover, he in verse 21 it says, He was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, And moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, from a human perspective, one might say, man, this guy must have done something horrible and awful to have that as his life. We as human beings very often judge what goes on in this life to say whether someone is blessed or not. And can I say to you that Scripture absolutely has the exact opposite view. Now, does that mean that every pauper is going to heaven? No. Does that mean that every rich person is going to hell? No. Quite the contrary. There's exactly one name under heaven whereby men may be saved, and his name is Jesus. You see, it's what you do with Jesus that matters. Because whether we like to see it or not... This short life, this 70, 80, 90, if God really doesn't like you, if you live a hundred years, you have to stay here for all that time. If you live a long life, you have still only lived a blip in eternity. Amen? If you were here and had everything for a hundred years... Maybe you're born into the Rockefeller family. Maybe you're born into the Kennedy family. Maybe you're born into the Buffett family, the Gates family. And you have everything money can buy. Your life consists of picking out which, you know, new Gucci suit you got to put on in the morning. Well, I don't want to wear these twice, so you give them away to some poor homeless guy after you get done wearing Your life is filled with what this world has to offer. The moment you take your last breath, oh my, how things can change. And hallelujah. Because it's the great equalizer Death is, isn't it? You see, we look at this life and we say, oh, that poor, pitiful person. And we should have compassion in the here and now. 
We're supposed to. James makes that clear. We're not supposed to be able to see someone's poverty and do nothing about it. That should be an anathema to the body of Christ. But to the world, the world loves to take advantage of those who are impoverished. The world loves to spit on those who are already down. The world loves to gain its goodness on the backs of those whom they can oppress. That is the world. You don't believe that? Look at what's going on in Iraq right now. Or the Ukraine right now. Whoever has the biggest guns wins. But God looks at things very, very, very differently. You see, as we look at this situation, the rich man died thinking he was all that. And the poor man died knowing he was nothing. And you see, when you have Christ, and you realize that by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, and when you realize it is in fact the new mercies of God that every morning grace your life, then no matter what you have that amounts to on this earth nothing, you still have everything that's important. Everything. Because eternity is what lies in the balance of this singular decision. A rich man arrayed himself in radiant splendor. We were walking, I, I just laughed. Now, I, I'm sure some of you have had this experience, and you can go to Palm Springs and do the same thing, or down to Fiesta Island, Newport, and do the same thing. You can go to South Coast Mall and do the same thing. But there's a, there's a mall, so to speak, in Wailea. It's where the rich and famous, and we've seen movie stars and all kinds of stuff wandering around in there. But this trip, I, I was taken aback by a group of obviously very well-heeled young ladies. It was a whole family of girls with mom. And every one of them had their Gucci purses and their, you know, fashionable leather shoes. And they're walking through the mall in a little line just of all prim and proper. I'll bet you they had $10,000 worth of clothes on the four of them. At least. Rolex watches. Now we look at that and we go, man, I'd sure like to do that. And don't get me wrong. You know, if you can stay at the Fairmont Kehlani, go for it. In Jesus' name, as long as you've been faithful in your giving and faithful in supporting missionaries and faithful in doing all the things that God's called you to do as the body of Christ, faithful in supporting your church, all of that, God's given you enough resources that you can spend some time there. We just go visit. It's kind of fun because we get to have all the goodies the rich people have and still be, you know, we don't care. We're going to go over to Jack in the Box and get the 99-cent tacos <laughs> and eat them at the mall. Mess with everybody's head. Power to the people. <laughs> Pretty nice. It cost $380 a day just to rent a cabana at the pool at the Fairmont Kehlani. Many of the rooms are $5,000 a night. A lot of missionaries. Just saying. Some people think that that's what there is to life. Oh, how wrong they are. And though I have to admit, I was 
at times kind of taken aback by the strength with which the Lord had just put upon me this almost desperate sense of the lostness of the people we were looking at. And I found myself just praying. I'd sit down and like, Lord, is that person going to heaven? Do they know you? Because all this isn't heaven. It looks like it. The world thinks this is it. But if they don't know you, they're going to take their last breath. And they're going to wish they'd done one thing in life. Poor man receives grace. The rich man receives judgment. Now notice the two different destinies. And so it was, verse 22 says, that the beggar died and he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. That's the rich man, by the way. And saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now this is Jesus speaking. And so Jesus is now defining so that we might know the exact goings-on in the hereafter prior to the Lord saying it is finished. You very clearly, and we're going to see it in a moment, got Lazarus in one place and the rich man in another, able to see one another with a great gulf separating the two of them. And so he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Very clear that the rich man is not enjoying where he's at. He's tormented. It's hot. It's hellish. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, the things that you could earn, the things that you thought you deserved. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted. And you are tormented. And besides all of this between us and you, as Abraham says that, he's identifying that he's with Lazarus. He said, we're over here, you're over there. There is a great gulf fixed. There is a chasm. There is a gaping wound between us. The Greek word actually is translated wound. And so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and nor can those who want to pass from there to us cannot. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, that lest they also come to this place of torment. He's beginning to get the picture. He's beginning to see that this is not ending well. That the choices that he made in life did in fact have eternal consequences. 
that what he believed was a way of living that would result in him also having a wonderful hereafter had produced exactly the opposite. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the Old Testament. They've got the Pentateuch, the first five books, and they have all of the rest that David and Daniel and everybody else wrote. And they're not listening to that. You see, you've heard me say many times, it will never be for lack of information that people will be able to say they didn't come to Christ. It won't be because there was a witness. It will be because they have rejected the truth. There won't be a single person that perishes eternally that will ever be able to say, Well, Lord, you never told me. Now, how God accomplishes that is known in the halls of heaven. But His Holy Spirit is certainly more than able to convince and convict across the world and for Him to not send the gospel message to every last living, breathing soul from time eternal till now would be unfair and unjust. And I do not believe that God has ever done that. Now, it is our responsibility to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. It is our task to go and share that truth. But do not limit the salvation of the Lord to simply the words of men. Because he's been preaching the gospel since before there was a gospel. He did it with the Old Testament saints. He spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He told us exactly what would become of the Messiah through Isaiah the prophet. No, that's not the problem, rich man. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. If you just give them a miracle, Lord, that's what they need. They need a miracle. If they see a miracle, surely they'll repent. Family of God, probably many of you have people in your life whose hearts have been so hardened that if a miracle occurred, they still wouldn't believe. It's not for lack of information. It's a hardened heart. It says, I know better. I'm keeping my secular humanism, thank you very much. I'm going to trust in this life and all it has to offer, and I don't care who I hurt along the way. How many people on this earth, and again, make no mistake of what I'm saying here, not every rich person thinks this way, but many do. Many do not care what happens to those that they trample along the way. Just like this rich man. He didn't care. He had an opportunity to minister to Lazarus while he laid at the gate of his house. And he did not do it. Oh, how God takes care of those things. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now I want to take a few minutes and just encapsulate this. Because in this lies the two destinies that one can undertake. You see, many cults teach that there are alternatives to this passage of Scripture. I would remind you these are the words of Jesus. 
Seventh-day Adventism teaches that you'll just simply go into soul sleep. You just kind of bob around in a kind of non-existence, and, you know, maybe you'll be able to work it out someday. Hindus, Buddhists believe that you're going to get to do it all over again. You'll get to be reincarnated. Who wants to come back to this rock, by the way? You blow it, you just get the, you know, your karma catches up with you. Zippo, well, just do it over. I'll come back as a frog or something and get to work it all out. Mormons believe that you can just simply pray for those who are already dead and get them right out of there. Pray them right into celestial heaven. Catholic Church teaches that you just get to spend a couple thousand years, in my case, probably 10, 15,000 years in purgatory. Working it all out. Paying my penance. Finally doing enough things that I can tell God how much I love Him with my works. And thereby I'm ready for heaven. So much so that the last pope who died did not know on his deathbed whether he was going to heaven or not. His words, not mine. He was asked a direct question, do you know you're going to heaven? He said, I hope so. Family of God, I know so, because Jesus said so. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? There's only two choices. There's heaven and there's hell. Jesus taught this, not Jeff. He didn't say, hey, you can work it out later. He said, there is an unpassable gulf. There is a chasm. There is a canyon. And you can't come here, and we can't go there. He didn't say, well, we'll build a bridge. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, maybe if you just stay over there for a while, and you pay the price, you can come over here. He didn't say, if there's enough people on earth still alive praying for you, they can zip-zap you right out of there. He said, it was settled when you took your last breath. Now, people don't like that. Frankly, I don't actually like it. I'd like to believe there is some hope for those that have died without Christ. But my Bible says, you die without Christ, your eternal destiny is sealed. That makes the sharing of the gospel, the preaching of the truth, and God's word of absolute utmost importance to the body of Christ. Because your unsaved loved ones are just like this rich man. When they die, they're done. It's over. And it's painful. You see, when you look at this whole situation, you see this picture of Abraham's bosom. And it was then that God had not finished that work through Jesus dying on the cross. And so there was this place, we know it as Sheol, it's simply the abode of the dead. 
And in that abode of the dead, there were two compartments, one for the righteous dead and one for the unrighteous dead. And so when they died at that time, the rich man went to the unrighteous dead in its holding place, and those who died uh, in faith went where Abraham was. And so there were two places. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me, not in heaven, in paradise. Same place, by the way. The righteous abode of the dead. You're going to die, but oh, how three days from now you're going to rejoice. Because as Ephesians 4 clearly teaches us, he first descended who ascended. Jesus went down and said, hey guys, guess what? I took my last breath. I said it's finished. And three days from now when I rise from the dead, y'all are going with me. We're heading home. And he took them to heaven. So you see what is really being pictured here is exactly how God dealt with a troubling thing for us. Well, what about the Old Testament saints? They were in paradise. Wasn't heaven yet, but they were comforted. They weren't roasting. They were being comforted. They were in paradise. They were hanging out. David, Abraham, Moses, Noah. All those who died believing that one day Messiah would come. And so that's what we have in view here. And in fact, those unrighteous dead are there to this day. They've not yet been judged. But your Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that one day when the Lord has finished the age of grace, when all those who have made the decision or not made the decision have had opportunity to do so, either way, it's your choice, it's my choice. But then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small, the great, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, and by the things which were written in the books, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. You see, they're still there. This same rich man has been there for 2,000 years. But it's not his final end. And they were judged, each one according to his works, whether they believed or did not believe. And then death and Hades were finally, completely, finitely cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. They're still waiting. It's bad right now. It's going to get worse. Jesus said so. You see, for those who are without Christ, this life is all that there is. 
right now for those who believe in the Lord Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. No waiting game for us. Take your last breath. You're home with Jesus. One day to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. To enjoy the fruits of righteousness forevermore. To be clothed in the righteous garments of Christ. That's what awaits you as a, as a child of God. It's what awaits me. You, you see, what Jesus did was when he took his last breath, he said, oh, I need to go talk to some guys. And you can read that passage there in Ephesians 4, 7 to 10. But he went and he just said, look, you all waited in faith. Right now, those unrighteous dead are awaiting the final judgment. One day, that judgment's going to happen. I don't know when it is. I know this. You don't even need to worry about it. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You don't even have to mess with it. And I can tell you this. It's not because of my pervasive arguments that Christ is real or that he fulfilled Scripture. You and I can sit down and we could talk for days about the proof that I believe exists that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. That not only does Scripture fulfill it and prove it, but my experience in life and those of billions of other people say the same thing. You see, we could talk about that. But the fact of the matter is that it takes faith to believe for everyone. For without faith, Hebrews tells us, it is impossible to please God. You, you can't come to just simply an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. That can be helpful. Could point you the right way. But I believe by faith. There are still things, this may shock you, that I don't know. I know, it's hard to believe, but... Sometimes I read passages and I want to slap myself in the head. It's like, I can't believe I never saw that before. We don't know Jesus by information. We know him by inspiration. We know him by the holy work of God convicting us through the Holy Spirit of sin and of righteousness and our need for a Savior. When I got saved... I, I was stunned because it was not some great message. I don't even remember what the message was. I just knew I needed Jesus. I couldn't help but run down the middle aisle of that church and go, man, whatever it is, I need it. And it was after that that I started to grow. Started to realize that, man, I just made the best decision I could have ever made. But I came by faith to Christ. I didn't know everything. And nobody ever does. You see, the rich man was in Hades and in torment. He'd been dead. He'd been buried. But he was very much still alive. And this is something you need to see. When you take your last breath, you're not dead. You're just in a new place. And there's only two places you can be. 
choice is yours. Now, I know some people don't like that. Oh, here it comes. That's his inner Baptist coming out. <laughs> Hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Start getting out of the southern drawl here pretty quick. It's Jesus' message. Not a Baptist message. Not a Presbyterian message. Not a Calvary Chapel message. It's a message from Christ Himself. He said, here's the deal. Believe and receive, or believe the lie and die. Up to you. Abraham said, look, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no purgatory. There's no getting prayed out. There's no soul sleep. No second chances. There's no karma. None of that is true. Those are the concoctions of man by wishful thinking. Now, I know that sounds strong, but that's exactly what it is. It's the wishful thinking of men, hoping that somehow, some way, Jesus is a liar. Satan wants to feed you the lie that hell's not real. Hell is very real. And it was created for Satan and his angels alone. Not one person was ever destined to go there. It was created for the fallen angels and Satan. But just as they made a decision, so must you make a decision where you would like to spend eternity. And I say to you this morning, don't let the wasted years of your life or anyone else's life come to this end. Because this decision must be made by you. Can't be made by your parents. Won't be made by this church. Love you. And I pray for all of you. But I can't make the decision for you to be saved. You must make that decision to be saved. No matter how godly your family is, you must make the decision as to where you want to spend eternity. Jesus said so. Notice how this ends. Praying to the saints, praying for the saints is useless. Abraham was one of the greatest saints ever, amen? And Jesus said, don't bother, Abraham. Won't do any good. Even if you came over here, it wouldn't do any good. So all the saint praying in the world is going to do nothing. Zero. The only prayer you need to pray is, Lord Jesus, I am a wretched sinner. And I need you in my life as my Savior and my Lord. I receive your grace. Bathe me in your mercy. You don't need Abraham. You don't need Isaac. You don't need Jacob. You don't need a Pope. You don't need Paul. You don't need Peter. You don't need Jeff. You need to ask Jesus into your life. Between you and us, Abraham said, there is a great gulf. The word there is the Greek word chasma, and it means chasm, but it's used in a medical sense to be an open wound. And I think this is so pertinent. 
You see, the, the rich man was dead. He was buried, but he's still alive. There was an open wound. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, the chasm's still there. It still exists. What keeps a lost person in hell? It's an open wound. It's a chasm. That wound was thrust deep into our Savior's side, folks. He paid the price. You just need to believe it and receive it. What keeps a saved person in heaven? Those same wounds. It was enough. It was sufficient. That's why he said, it is finished. He said, tetel estai. It's done. My life for yours, forfeit. When the rich man awoke in hell, suddenly he was a believer in preaching. Isn't this kind of strange to you? Well, if you just go preach to them, they'll believe. Well, Lazarus, it didn't work on you. All the preaching in the world won't change a hardened heart. The heart has to be changed. It has to be receptive. It has to be ready. You have to get fed up with you, and I have to get fed up with me. Family of God, if you don't believe on this earth, you won't believe in hell either. There was enough Bible truth in David and Daniel and Ezra and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Job and Jeremiah to convince the most hardened heart. The problem wasn't the information. The problem is people don't like the truth. They love the lie. They like darkness. These people had God's word in their mother tongue. It was written in Hebrew. And they still didn't believe. So I want to encourage you with this this morning. Perhaps there's somebody here who's never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Never invited Jesus into your life as Savior. I want to share with you that decision determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or in hell. You may not like it. You may not believe it. But I am here to tell you it is true. You must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There is no other way. There's not an alternative salvation. All roads do not lead to heaven. Allah is not Yahweh, Lord of hosts. If anything, he is the devil himself because he has deceived billions. A Hindu path of enlightenment does not lead to heaven. It leads to hell. The Eightfold Path can't get you there. There is no nirvana, and no matter how much you believe in karma, it cannot save you. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, 
and no one comes to the Father but by Him. We're going to pray. And we're going to invite the worship team back up. And if that's you, I would love to pray with you after service that you would invite Jesus into your life. If you know Jesus, then your task, your goal, is to go share Christ with the dying world. Because they're perishing. Your friends are dying and going to hell. Your family is dying and going to hell. They don't know Jesus. Go tell them about Jesus. You want to give them a great gift? Tell them about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful today for that grace wherein we stand. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving us. God, what can we say to that grace gift? But thanks. Our hearts are open to receive. I want to pray if there's anyone here today that has not made that commitment. That they couldn't escape the Spirit's work right now, speaking to them that they must be saved. God, cause them to come forward. Cause them to know you. God, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. We exalt you. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer after service, I'd love to pray with you. Would you stand?